Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Christ Central, and really glad you're with us. And if this is your first time, uh, I just want to say welcome to you especially, and really glad uh, that God's brought you here and that you're with us this morning. We are in a series in the Psalms. We're looking this morning at Psalm 84, and as you get up off your knees or uh, if you've been sitting, I'm going to ask you to stand, as is our custom, as I read God's Word uh, and ask Him to speak to us this morning. So, Psalm 84, as we continue throughout the Psalms, this is God's Word to us this morning. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Isaiah 40 tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Now let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak now. Better is one day, one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere, and you are here. Not only are you here, but you have spoken, and you make yourself known. And so we ask now that you speak through your word. You would remove me, the vessel, so that Christ might be seen. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. God, would you work, spirit, speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I've been influenced uh, by many different authors and and pastors, but one author uh, who was also a priest who has had and continues to have an impact on me is a man who passed away in 1996, a man named Henry Nouwen. Now, I don't agree with everything Nowen wrote, but much of what he has written uh, has helped shape and mold me as a follower of Christ and as a pastor. Uh, Henry Nowen was a professor at uh, Yale and Harvard Divinity School, thought by many to be one of the brightest minds of his day. Brilliant, brilliant teacher. But Henry wrestled uh, with his calling and with his vocation. He wrote many books dealing with spirituality and psychology. In 1984, uh, he went to visit the La La Arche community and went back for a 30-day retreat. The La Arche community was a community for the disabled, uh, mentally, physically disabled. And on this 30-day retreat, Nowen discovered that for him, his calling uh, and his vocation, that the Lord was calling him to what he termed the path of downward mobility, of downward mobility for the rest of his life of living with the disabled, rather than living with the upward mobility of the academic world. So Henry decided to, to move to the La, the, the La Arche community, and it was, it was a struggle for him. He left the academic world where he was extremely successful, 
productive uh, as he could be. Productivity was an expectation. And now he was in this community learning the pain and the joy of caring for many people who uh, the world might think of as useless. And not just caring for them. Now and would learn, and he would say this, he would learn the joy of being ministered to by the most severely disabled. He learned from them. He would call them his teachers and his ministers. For the last 10 years of his life, he cared for six disabled people. He was in a place in these last 10 years of his life where he could no longer rely on his lectures, on his reputation, on his books for his self-identity. These six never read his books, never listened to a lecture. They didn't care anything about that. What they cared about was whether Henry loved them or not. So now one understood this, that in the economy of God's kingdom, what God values is not the same in the economy of our society and our culture. Now one learned to value what God valued. That in the economy of God's kingdom, the way up is down. The way to be first is to be last. Suffering is blessing. Weakness is strength. Which means that those who have the most to offer in the church are not always those who are the upwardly mobile in our society and in our culture. Those who often have the most to contribute and teach the community of God's people, His church, are those who have suffered and are suffering and those whom the world might not exalt. So let me just say to some of you who are suffering, some of you who are going through hardship, those of you that maybe the world may not esteem, you have so much to offer Christ Central Church. You have so much to offer this church. Our psalm this morning, Psalm 84, is not a psalm written by King David. Though King David wrote many psalms, it's not a psalm written by the sons of Asaph, who were the temple uh, leaders, the musicians in the temple, though the sons of Asaph also wrote psalms. We saw that a couple weeks in Psalm 73, a couple weeks ago. Psalm 84 is a psalm written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were, anything, were not anything like the sons of Asaph. See, the sons of Asaph had a glamorous job, right? They, they were up front leading the people of God in the worship of God. They had high visibility in the temple. The sons of Korah, they were the doorkeepers in the temple. They carried out the menial tasks in the temple. They were the janitors of the temple. Low visibility, right? I used to joke growing up that I always wanted the positions of, of high visibility and low responsibility. Everybody else could have the positions where, you know, it's low visibility and high responsibility. I wanted to be seen without anything being required of me. Uh, the, the sons of Korah had low visibility but had a great task of serving in the temple of God. Now, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God and about Psalm 84 is that we're taught by the janitors of the temple. We are taught about who God is and what is true about the economy of the kingdom. And so we should turn our attention. We should listen to the sons of Korah, these janitors, who teach us what blessing really is. They teach us what true blessing is. How many of you have read the Sermon on the Mount, heard the Sermon on the Mount before? Okay, some of you. The, the Sermon on the Mount starts, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. This idea of blessing 
is the idea of the one who has found the fullest joy, the deepest satisfaction, the truest purpose of life, right? That's what being blessed really means, what Jesus teaches us there. The person who is blessed knows that we're created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The person who is blessed is not always the person who is the happiest in a superficial sense. It's not the person who never has anything bad happen to them. It's not the person who always experiences triumph and never trial. This person is blessed because they know that their joy is not based in circumstances. They know that their joy cannot be taken away because it's based upon an intimate relationship with God, enjoying Him and glorifying Him in all that they do. And so these janitors, the sons of Korah, teach us what blessing, what the blessed life really is. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the blessing uh, of God. And the first thing that we see this morning is that blessing comes in the community of worship. Blessing comes in the community of worship. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your, pra- your praise. Blessed, deeply satisfied, fulfilled are those who dwell in the house of God, praising and worshiping God. They proclaim, verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The sons of Korah longed to be in the dwelling place of God. They longed to be in the place where God was present, in the temple. And they continue, my soul longs. It even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. There's a longing to be where God is present. And this is more than just some sentimental love being expressed. C.S. Lewis calls verse 2 an appetite for God. That it is an appetite for God. I I like that because sometimes this word for love or or the definition for love, not the word for love. The word for love is love. Uh, The definition of love and what we understand love to be uh, can get watered down. It can get overused. But an appetite for God. It's a little bit more descriptive. All of you can, can understand having an appetite. All of you can understand what it means to be hungry. Maybe you haven't had a meal in a long time and, and you, you just can't wait to eat. You're hungry. You know, we had a, a dog who just passed away. He was the best dog ever, uh, but he was also the hungriest dog I've ever met in my life, uh, Tucker. Uh, and he would act like uh, he's never eaten in his life. Even if, if you just fed him, he'd act like he's never eaten. And uh, he could always eat more and more and more. And uh, I used to joke with Rachel, I'd call him food stupid. Because food come around, he just couldn't think. It was just all food. He was the hungriest dog I'd ever known. Uh, especially when you would pull an apple out of the refrigerator and you're going to eat an apple. I'd, I'd pull the apple out and Tucker would sit and just drool the whole time. And I would mess with him. I'd take the apple and I'd go. And he's like, he'd follow me the whole time. He could not wait until I finished and gave him the core. He longed and anticipated and drooled and hungered for this apple. Now, I know that's kind of a silly picture to paint of our dog who is hungry for an apple, but I think that gives us a little bit of a picture, I, I believe, of what the sons of Korah are praying here. God, I cannot wait. God, I'm so excited. God, I am fixed and I'm anticipating and I'm longing and I'm hungering to be in your presence to worship with the people of God. Sons of Korah knew that blessing comes in the presence of God with the people of God. That deep satisfaction and deep joy comes as we worship together in God's presence. 
I mean, verse 3, even the sparrow and the swallow know that the best thing is to be near God, that blessing comes in His presence. Now, it, it is easy for us to get excited about kind of little things. Now, it's not too little for me. The Auburn Ole Miss game yesterday, last night, I'm an Auburn grad. I was looking all week. I was, I was anticipating last night's game all week long. I couldn't wait for it. Maybe, maybe it was game seven of the World Series, right? You just wanted to see Madison Bumgarner become a legend, which he was, right? And you just wanted to see it. Maybe it's camping out weeks for Duke UNC basketball tickets, right? That happens. We're excited to see these events. But there, there's also deeper, more seemingly more important things that we can fix our eyes upon, that we can anticipate, that we can long for. Money, comfort, approval, power. Let me ask you, what do you anticipate? What do you fix your eyes and long for? What do you hunger for? Let me ask this question. Do you anticipate? Do you get excited and long for Sunday mornings? Do you long and look forward to this gathering that we're a part of right now? Now, I used to think that Sunday morning was, was optional, uh, I was a Christian. I became a Christian in high school. And, and I, I knew that believing in Jesus was crucial. Uh, believing in Christ and trusting Christ was important. But I, I honestly did not find much pleasure in Sunday morning worship. And, uh, and that was the case for a long, long period of time. But God tells us that when His people gather together, what we're doing this morning, God is uniquely present and in our midst in a way that he's not during the rest of the week. It's not because we're in Haiti, though this place is beautiful that God is with us. It's because God has promised when his people gather in whatever place it is, he is present and he reveals himself. Now, and I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor, I promise you. I'm not. It's taken a while for me to get here. It's my job to work on Sunday mornings. It's my job to prepare for this. But I get excited. I really do. I anticipate now. I long for, for this time. When we, Christ Central, get to gather together, we get to sing praises, we get to pray, we get to confess, we get to pray for one another, we get to hear God speak, we get to feast at the table, we get to be sent out of here, that God is with us. I look forward to this time when God is here in our midst. Because I know that no matter what sins I've committed, thoughts I've had, words I've spoken in the past week, that I can come into this place with you and I know God's here. I know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are here, and He reminds us who He is. And He offers His grace and His love and His mercy to us yet again. And He reminds us of the life of the Spirit that we have. I have found that worshiping with God's people, there's no better place to be. There's no better place to be. Deep satisfaction, deep joy, not based on the circumstances of our week, but based upon the promise of who God is and who He will continually be to us. I decided to, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever done this, but I decided to, to make a printout that I took from uh, some uh, notes from some other past, uh, one other pastor in particular uh, that kind of drives home and makes this point a little bit more practical. This, this, this isn't like the silver bullet to, for you, but I think this will help make preparing for Sunday morning, longing, anticipating for Sunday morning a little bit more practical. It gives us just some steps. 
We print out 100 there on the welcome table. I would love for you to take it, look at it. Uh, Again, it's not the silver bullet. It's just an aid, hopefully, to help you understand how to prepare and anticipate and look forward to coming together with God's people in His presence on Sunday morning. So I'd love for you to take one of those because true blessing, deep satisfaction, deep joy comes from being in community of worship. The second thing I want to see about true blessing that we see in Psalm 84 is that blessing comes from dependence on the Lord. Blessing comes from dependence on the Lord. Look at verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Blessed are those whose strength, whose dependence is on you, God. The valley of Baca, it's unknown. It's actually not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But it has etymology, it has word association with weeping, with affliction, with sorrow. The person who is blessed is the one who finds their strength in the Lord, the one who depends on God. Even though they might go through affliction and sorrow and weeping, they know that their God will turn their sorrow and sighing into gladness and joy. The one who depends on God, even in the valley, will find themselves going from strength to strength. I was working out uh, at the CrossFit gym this past week. I go to CrossFit Durham, downtown Durham. And, uh, and there's always music playing as we work out. And, uh, and as we were working out uh, this day, the, there was an old country song playing by Charlie Daniels. Long-haired country boy. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Uh, long-haired country boy, probably not. But this is the first two, uh, first two lines of the refrain. Because I ain't asking nobody for nothing if I can't get it on my own. I ain't asking nobody for nothing if I can't get it on my own, and it kept playing. And I, I was meditating on Psalm 84 uh, all week and heard this song come over the, the speakers at CrossFit and thought, wow, isn't that the view most of us grew up hearing? Work hard. Work hard with a little bit of sweat, with a little bit of effort. You can accomplish anything. Most of us taught, were taught to be self-made men and women. Self-made, not asking for help. I'm not asking anyone for anything. I'm not going to tell other people that I need them. I don't need anything. Therefore, we keep our struggles. Our struggles at work. Our struggles with family. Our struggles in our marriages. Our fears. Our hurts. Our sadness. We keep them in secret. Because we can make it on our own, can't we? We don't need anybody. I know there are many of you here. Because I know humanity. Who are struggling. You're struggling and you're hurting. Let somebody know. So, the most faithful thing you might be able to do today, trusting Jesus the most, is to let somebody know you have a need, that you have a struggle. Let them in on what's going, going on inside of your heart and in your life. The sons of Korah are saying, sure, you can try all you can to be self-made man or woman. You can ask no one for anything. You can let no one in when you're struggling or in need. And you can be completely self-dependent, but you will not be blessed. The blessed man or the blessed woman is not the self-made man or woman, but the God-dependent man or woman. The one who looks to the Lord and knows that God is strong and He's able and He'll be my strength. The one who can let other brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters, in on their needs and be vulnerable and honest and they know God will meet them and strengthen them. God will meet you. He will meet you with His presence in His Word 
and in prayer. Do you turn to Him in word? Do you turn to Him in prayer? I've said this before, but prayer is the most evident sign of dependence, by the way. Our prayer lives reveal just how much we really do depend on God. Also, many times God will meet you in the presence and with His presence in the relationship of another person. See, being God-dependent also means you allow yourself to be others-dependent. I loved hearing and I loved having a long time of congregational prayer because it's saying, hey, I'm in need, God, and we're letting one another know, hey, you can help me in my need. God uses one another to meet us in the midst of our need. Now, I'm, I'm saying this as one who has a hard time receiving. <laughs> one who has a hard time letting people know that I need something. I am stubborn, and I can push and push thinking I will do it, and if I can't do it, it just won't get done. <laughs> Either I'll do it or it won't get done. Which is why sometimes the kindest thing that our God can do is bring along in our path suffering or affliction. Sometimes the kindest thing that our God can do is take us to a place where we no longer can depend on ourselves, but we finally confess that we are in need. Do you agree with that? There's a, there's a pastor that I deeply admire who's had a great influence on me. I've, I've been around him three or four times uh, in conversations and over meals. His name's Joe Nobinson. Joe Nobinson, in my mind, is one of... Uh, he, I just look up and admire him. He depends on God. He's one of the most humble, humble men I've ever been around. And Joe Nobinson was a young pastor, newly married, just married. And he was feeding sheet metal one day into a kind of a metal grinder. And he was feeding a, this, a piece of, of metal in, and his hands got caught. And both of his hands went into the grinder. And he had to have surgery after surgery after surgery. In the first year of his marriage... Joe had to live his whole year like this, both hands wrapped in the air, which means you can imagine his wife, new wife, had to do everything for him, everything. People in the church that he was pastoring had to do everything for him. He preached like this for a whole year, for a whole year. 30 plus years later, surgery after surgery after surgery, Joe's hands are still deformed. But he will tell you, he'll be the first to tell you that through this affliction, God taught him how to be needy in front of his new wife, how to be needy in front of his new congregation, and how to cry out in need before his God. Therefore, God taught him what true joy and true satisfaction were. It comes in a posture of knowing God is the one who meets our needs. He is our strength, and He will lead, and He will guide us, even in the midst of our suffering. God will be our strength. He turns our valleys into springs, our weeping into laughter, our sighing into gladness. Not because of our circumstances, but because of His presence. It is way more blessed to be dependent on God than to be a self-made man or woman. And I know that's so counter to the way most of us grew up. But you'll be more fulfilled in life, I promise, if we live in dependence on God. Let's look at lastly at blessing, the, the third point on blessing. Blessing comes from trusting the Lord. Blessing comes from trusting. Look, look at verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. 
Blessed is the one who trusts in you. What, what does that mean to trust the Lord? What does that mean? We kind of throw that out, don't we? What does it mean to trust the Lord? John Patton, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, uh, was working with a group of cannibalistic uh, tribal people, and he was teaching them about Jesus. He was teaching them about Jesus, and, and uh, John Patton was trying to translate the Gospel of John into their native language. And these people uh, did not have uh, a word for trust. No word for trust, no word for faith in their language. So he's trying to think, how can I translate this word for trust so that they understand it? And he's in his office one day, and a tribal person comes into his office, and John Patton, uh, Patton leans back in his chair, he throws both feet up in the air, and he asks this person, what word would you use for what I'm doing right now? What word would you use? And this person said, it, would, uh, it gave him a word that meant to lean your whole weight upon. To lean your whole weight upon. And that was what Patton used for trust in, in their language. To lean your whole weight upon. David wrote in Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. But we trust, we lean our whole weight upon the name of the Lord our God. Eugene Peterson translates Psalm 20, verse 7. See those people polishing their chariots? You see those people grooming their horses? We trust in the Lord our God. Polishing, grooming. I love that picture. Cherishing, it's taking pride in, trusting in chariots and horses. If we had to fill that in, what might we say we trust when we're not trusting the Lord? What might we say that we polish and we groom? Some of us, it's our bank account, right? Save all of our financial records. We got, I mean, we got the last five years. We watch the stock market, and we know that we, our, our number just needs to hit this before we can feel secure in our retirement, right? Polishing and grooming our financial accounts. Some of it's our education, right? It's all those degrees you got framed, right? Up in the wall, on your wall, you let everybody know they come in, where you went what your education is. Some of it's us, it's this election coming up. We put our hope in the election of some candidate or the hope in the government. Some of you, it's your perfect children. Take, we frame, our, you know, we frame our, our perfect family and we put photos up on Instagram and Facebook and we let the whole world know, look at our family, right? Polishing and cherishing. Some of you, it's your addictions, you love certain things and nothing's going to stand in the way of your addiction. Some of you, it's your reputation. You just love it. You love it when people speak your name. You love it when people know who you are and what you've done. What might we say as a church? What could we easily trust Christ Central as a church? Right? That's individual. What could we say? We could easily trust, polish, cherish. We could Our vision, couldn't we? Christ Central? Trust, we're a community that reflects the city. We're diverse. We're, we're diverse racially. So not really, we're, we're, we're the cool church, right? Look at our vision. We could trust our vision. We could trust our bank account. As long as we have enough money and we, we feel secure, we're good. We could trust our, our growth in attendance on Sunday morning, our growth of our city groups, our growth of our membership. We could trust in our organized outreach to the Southside community. We could trust, and I pray that you don't, 
your pastors. I pray that you don't. We are men with feet of clay who will fail you. But it's easily, it's, it's an easy temptation to trust even the leadership of your church. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Who puts all of their weight into the Lord. Not some, not even most, but our whole weight, our whole lives. For one day, and the courts of our God are better than a thousand elsewhere. It is better to be a doorkeeper, a janitor in the house of God than have all the power, success, money, fame, and reputation that the world offers us. Because the one who trusts in the Lord knows that the Lord will always provide. Verse 11, no good thing does he withhold. And the Lord will always protect because he is a sun and a shield. The sons of Korah teach us this song janitors of the temple but this song is really sung by the lord jesus he sings this song his soul longed for the worship of god's people in the presence of his father so much that he would be a willing sacrifice he would not just be near the altar like the sparrow and the swallow but he would lay his life down upon the altar and become the sacrifice that ushers us into the presence of God. It was his anticipation of the great assembly of saints that led him to lay his life down for us. Jesus is the one who went through the valley of Baca. Isaiah tells us, afflicted, people esteemed him not, spit upon, mocked, rejected. Yet I know no one stronger than the Lord Jesus. No one stronger. He depended on his Father and upon the Spirit. He leaned his whole weight upon the will of his Father, trusted beyond what he could see, trusted beyond his circumstances. Jesus was blessed, and he is the blessing offered to us, the church. Will we believe? Will we depend? Will we trust? No good thing does he withhold from us. Even if if he's given us the Lord Jesus Christ, will he not freely give us all things? Our God is worthy of worship. He's dependable. He's trustworthy. Henry Nouwen would say that the six disabled people he cared for taught him what it meant to be dependent and to be needy, to lean upon another. Their joy and their satisfaction taught Henry about blessing. It's more blessed to receive than to give. They were his teachers and his ministers. But another great teacher for Henry Nouwen was the 17th century artist Rembrandt. Rembrandt painted the famous prodigal, uh, The Return of the Prodigal. If you've ever seen it. Picture of the story in Luke 15. The prodigal son who squandered all of the inheritance of his father came back home and the father welcomed him and threw the best party for him. So now one saw in Rembrandt's painting, which had the son kneeling at the father and the father embracing the son, in it he saw the light that was shining in the center of the painting, focusing those who look upon it to the attention to, to place their attention upon the relationship of the Father and the Son. And now when, upon looking, realized he was the Son who could come to his Father broken, tired, needy, and the Father would embrace him and rejoice over him and call him the Beloved, all because of Jesus, all because of what Christ did bearing the weight of his sin paying the penalty of sin and was the atoning sacrifice and now the father looked and rejoiced and he could come needy and believe and depend and trust in what god 
had done and who God was. I love the photo of Rembrandt. Go look at it. I love Henry Nowen because of what he has taught me. It's what the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, teaches us. All the fitness God requires is to fill your need of Him. All the thing, the only thing God asks of us is to fill our need of Him. Now I want to learn that God is glorified and He delights in His people coming into His presence, needy and dependent, and worshiping God because of what God the Father did in sending His only Son and what the Spirit was doing in the assembly of those gathered, making people not self-dependent, self-made men and women, but God-dependent. Because God is glorified when we lean our whole weight upon Him and we trust Him. Let's pray. God, I ask, I ask that You would help us to do this. God, it's, it's not easy for many of us to say we're needy. It's not easy to say we have nothing to bring and that we, we come to you and you're most delighted when we come and we say uh, we need you. And thank you that you meet us with grace and mercy and, and kindness and compassion and that you've given us your son. God, we pray that we would long for, for this time on Sunday morning when we are blessed from being in your presence. That God, you would bless us to be people who are dependent upon you and you would bless us as we trust, lean wholly into you. God, we thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, magical that this bread and wine and juice turns into, but God, we believe it's very spiritual and something very real is happening that you have promised to be with us in it that as we taste and we smell and we see it, that, Lord, it becomes tangible to us. The gospel becomes tangible. So, Lord, would we drink deeply from this cup and would we feast upon the bread and know that your love and mercy are new to us yet again? God, thank you that we can come broken and needy and you meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.